Hey, Marion. Hi, Jamie. Why aren't koalas actual bears? I don't know. I don't know. Tell me, why are they not actual bears? Because they don't meet the koalifications. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's the Lovecraft Show. My name is Mr. Extitch. And I'm Marion. And, well, aren't we honoured to have Alexi Two of Wands in our house today. Thank you so much for having me. Crochet, it's such an honor to be here. Now we should, we, I think we should always explain as we often do with these things that the minute we get into talking to crocheting superheroes, this is where Marion gets oh. very excited. <laughs> I do my best to keep things on the ground, but I'm not even going to lie, right? I looked on your Instagram, man, you've got some cool crochet, man. I was really impressed. Like, I'm a crossfit so guy much. and can't crochet for toffee, but I was blown, a bit blown away. To be well, honest. thank you. What, crochet and knitting, actually, Jamie? Yes, crochet I do and both. knitting. Yeah. Yes. I do both. And I love cross-stitch, too. I just don't have time to add another craft to the plate, you know? Well, the minute you do, you know where I am. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, that's lovely that you do cross-stitch as well, because we have noticed that over the last, especially over the last little while with this awful pandemic, that a lot of people have taken up cross-stitch and taken up stitching. And it's really one of those crafts that's boomed. Yes. Something like cross-stitch is great, too, because there's not a learning curve beforehand. So anyone can kind of pick it up and begin without knowing too many um, techniques. I always call it a gateway craft because you start with cross-stitch and you move on to harder crafts. Exactly. One of my uh, best friends from high school got married five to six years ago, and uh, her husband her groom-to-be, while she was stressing out doing all the wedding planning and everything, he, for some reason, took up cross-stitch and ended up doing that throughout the entire wedding planning so that he could de-stress a little bit and uh, center himself. And he still still does it to this day. One of the good things is is you can sort of sit in a corner and rock while doing it. So it's it's good at that kind of, you know, if you need to sit in a corner and rock, why as well? Make a doily. While you're at it. I think I'd love to do cross-stitch if I didn't have to look from the chart back to just a plain thing. It would have to be printed on for me because charts can be a bit testy. But um, talking of charts now, obviously, we know that you're two of wands and you have this incredible design business. You design these stunning crochet, (laughs) knitted garments, homeware, all sorts of beautiful things. And you have a fantastic community on Instagram. Where did it all start? Oh man, how qu- how much time do I have to tell this story? Give me as long as you like. Long as we you always like. go. There was a bright light and somebody slapped me. Is usually the way these stories. <laughs> do you want the start. long version so, or the short version? Well, let's see. I was born in 1982. No, <laughs> I grew up in Ohio, and I always loved fashion. I went to Indiana University, studied fashion design and costume construction technology. Kind of a strange place to study said things because it's not the most fashionable place in the world. But it gave me a really good foundation, I would say, for kind of costuming more so and utilizing different materials in really couture ways and kind of these very specific hand old school techniques, which I think I I definitely use in what I do today. But the funniest part about that is for our final collection, I think I had 25 looks. It was like 30 different pieces that I had to finish by my senior year for the final fashion show and we weren't allowed to use knitted fabric (gasps) so I find that quite funny that everything I did it was very tailored very you know all woven fabrics all hand stitch steams seams and everything so it's funny now that I'm a knitwear designer but um, after college had big dreams of moving to New York City and working in the fashion industry and I did move to New York City but I actually ended up working for a friend of a friend who was a model who had survived the tsunami in Thailand in 2004 and she was working on setting up a foundation to help children who are victims of natural disasters worldwide by rebuilding schools. And so I started working for her just kind of as a little side job until I figured out what I wanted to do. And then nine years later, (laughs) after working for her in the foundation um, for all those years, I was really itching to get back into something creative or start something creative. And around the time I turned 30, one of my friends suggested that we climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which sounded intense as I had never been hiking before but she's quite convincing and told me that she talked to so many people who did it and it's just a walk up a hill 
So <laughs> I did some research. I did some, and I, you know, I can be spontaneous. And I did some research. And as far as I could tell, you didn't have to have any technical skills as long as you broke in your boots. So I decided for the next month, I would just wear my boots to and from the office every day and walk to the work, which was about a 45 minute walk. Actually, it was about three months of doing that. So I did break in the boots. But the experience was beautiful and traumatic at the same time. I think I cried the whole time. But I made it to the top. And it was wonderful. And the whole time I was climbing, you're alone with your thoughts a lot because you're kind of, we had porters and such that were much farther ahead of us. And we pretty much didn't see another soul the entire time. So you're kind of, I was trying to do affirmations and just sort of (laughs) this walking meditation of of what I wanted to do once I got down, um, if I survived. (laughs) And I really decided I I definitely want to do something creative. Uh, I just wasn't sure what it was. My mom is an artist and I grew up doing all sorts of art. So I was like, which one am I going to choose, you know? And um, when we got back to the bottom of the mountain, we were staying in this really sweet little lodge. And there was this British woman there who was a garden designer slash tarot card reader. And she offered to read our cards. And as she was turning over all the, I don't really know much about tarot, to be honest. But (laughs) as she was turning over the cards, she was saying, this is such a beautiful deck. And, you know, got all these amazing mystic qualities about everything I'm turning over this is really meaning I can feel this is really strong for you and she said the final card that I turn over is going to be what is going to determine your future especially over the next year and it was the two of wands card which of course I knew nothing about but she explained that that card um, is all about creativity and on the face of the card it's a man holding two different wands and one is holding him stable one is leading down a path of more kind of creativity and the unknown um Um, And that may have some obstacles along it, but it's going to bring you greater happiness in the end. And so she said staying stable is not necessarily a bad thing, but you're going to lead a much more fulfilling life if you if you choose a creative endeavor. Are you thinking about leaving your job? And I was like, yes. So I immediately got home. I opened an Etsy shop, named it Two of Wands. And I didn't do anything with it for the next six months. I was sort of wrapping up things, having worked very closely with with uh, Petra and this foundation. I needed a lot of time to kind of finish that out. Um, And then finally, when the job was done, it was November and I went home to Ohio from New York for the entire month. I had a couple of friends' weddings and Thanksgiving and I was knitting a bunch because I always, I've loved to knit my whole life and I was making some holiday gifts and I thought, you know, I'm just going to put some of this stuff in that Etsy shop and see what happens. And it really did take off. And so I sort of just started chasing that. And initially I was selling finished pieces, no patterns at all. But I was designing everything that I was putting in the shop. And then I slowly started to realize that that was not scalable because you can only make so many things in a day and you can only charge so much for those things. So I thought maybe selling my patterns would be a little bit of passive income. And I really didn't even know that that was a thing. Of course, I had purchased patterns from magazines and books in the past um, and single patterns at yarn shops that may have come with a skein of yarn to make said thing. Uh, But I never really realized that you could make a career out of that. So as I started to sell these patterns, I realized that side of the business was really picking up. And I realized just how many knitters and crocheters there are out there. So I kind of phased out the finished pieces over the course of the next year or so, two years. And then I was just selling patterns full time. But the funny part about naming it Two of Wands is I named it that not knowing that I was going to do knitting or crochet, I could have put, you know, watercolors in that Etsy shop and it still I still would have kept the name but people started to message me and say oh did you name it two of wands because of knitting needles are magic oh, yeah. like magic wands <laughs> and I hadn't but of course now it has this really beautiful double meaning to me and I think it was definitely meant to be so that's kind of where it went and then I was predominantly selling patterns and then I started working with Lion Brand in 2016 and I started as they commissioned patterns from me I started offering some of those for free on my blog and so now I kind of have a few different uh, streams um, of how I of how I sell my patterns. Some of them are free on the blog. You can always buy a digital PDF of those free patterns if you want something printer friendly. And then I have some patterns that I've just written on my own without the support of a of a brand, and those I just charge for. It's fantastic. That's, that's such a great it. story. <laughs> such, such a good a story. story. It's the kind of story I wish I had. <laughs> I don't think I could do the climbing up Kilimanjaro, no. It no. feels a little cheesy when I tell it, but, you know, that's the truth. But that's that's what the best thing about it, though, isn't it? It's like, you know, like it's like John Lennon going, I had a dream, and they said you'll be called the Beatles. Like, that's such a cool story. I wonder whether, is there a support group for other people who've had that tarot If, if you find out, send them send them my way. 
Yeah, there's a man called Ace of Pentangles. <laughs> nice. Selling coasters. <laughs> He's doing hedge trimming, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic story. When you it's look back, story. do you think, I can't believe I climbed a mountain? I yes. mean, that's very surreal. I mean, it? I literally wow. cried the whole time. You know in cartoons when the character is fa- scared and the knees shake? That really happens when you're scared enough, (laughs) I found out. There's this part of the mountain called the Hugging Rock, which is this kind of stone that sticks out from the side, and there's nothing below it, and you're kind of leaning against this path on the side of the mountain, and as you approach this, you have to reach your arm around it and kind of swing your legs around in order to get around it, and there's literally nothing below you, and (gasps) I I really thought that was the end. (laughs) (laughs) But then, of course, so many people do it and they're like, eh, it's nothing. So let's fast forward a bit to your first kind of designs and patterns and your sort of current designing and patterns. Where does the inspiration come from? How do you sort of think, oh, I want to create something that's textural or, you know? A few different places. I would say living in New York City, there's just so much street fashion and so much inspiration constantly around you. And as I said, I've always been interested in fashion design. I studied a lot of costume history, so there's a bit of that that comes into it too. I've been lucky enough to travel to many different countries around the world in my previous job and just um, for leisure and, you know, seeing the functionality of different different garments and accessories in different environments and, and how that can play into knitwear. I really like to take attributes from woven clothing and weaving and things like that and turn them into knitwear, if you will. To And sometimes I use a little bit of unconventional methods. I would say when I first started out, I knew a lot less about pattern writing and there's a beauty to that because you don't have any boundaries around you. So some of my earlier designs definitely have some unconventional constructions and weird things like that that are very difficult to explain in pattern. So I think I've gotten slightly away from that and playing a little bit more by the rules. But um, I love that kind of design too, where you're just sort of sitting down and and creating something without too much of a plan. Uh, in the beginning, a lot of it was, was just very functional. Um, one of the first things I designed, it's called the armor scarf. And I had been making that actually for years for friends and for myself, because it, where I lived in New York at the time, was on the Hudson River and it was very, very windy. I lived one block away from the river. And so every time when it was winter, I would leave and it was just like this huge gust of wind. So I wanted something, the armor scarf, it's like a, almost like a bit of a, a dicky or like a poncho in the front and the back. There's two panels and then it's this really, really tall cowl that you can put up and wear as a hood. So it just kind of closes off everything. And um, I love wearing like a little leather jacket and t- topping it with that. It's just this like mm. thing would be at the door and you just plop it on as you leave. <laughs> so that was kind of the first thing that really took off too. It's still one of my best sellers to this day. So yeah, function, fashion. Function, fashion. And also like your photography is absolutely stunning. Well, thank so, you. So I mean, we when, when we sort of encourage, you know, we sort of talk about pattern writing and design and things like that. Yeah. One of the things I know our sort of advice to indie designers often is about photography. And I mean, your photography is absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. And I'm sure they just captures you so fast. Now, I'm just looking at some of your patterns here because I remember a, a bag of yours that I did that I must have made three of, which um, is the, the circle one with the tassel. The oh, crochet yes, bag. the Capri circle bag. That's yes. the one. Oh, I saw it. And, you know, you just have that moment where you think, oh, I've got to make it. You know, but I love that. I love <laughs> Thank your... You. Just the whole of your aesthetic and the style, it's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, I have to thank, I mean, my latest photos, my boyfriend has become quite the photographer. So I'm really lucky to have him. But the first photos was just because it was when, as I said, it was November. I was home in Ohio, had my mom taking pictures against a white wall in our guest bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) But so much of photography comes into, I mean, obviously, if you're a good photographer, you have an eye for the framing and everything like that. But it's really the post and adjusting lighting and, and color profiles and stuff like that that makes it, I think, really special so we do a lot of that and I also take about a thousand photos per item and narrow it yeah. down to like That's 15 to 20 you, you know you gotta to, get all you? the shots yeah you have to take hundreds <laughs> to get one you yeah, really do you do you so do. there's a lot of that it looks better you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes <laughs> <laughs> there is there's a strong visual aesthetic isn't there like you say with the post and the color yeah like filters what are they called lits luts Something rather that you can do, you have set kind of colorways for ejecting yes, photos. Yes, exactly. I think that's in video, the LUTs, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you do. You sound fast, great. You sound honest. good. You sound good. good. Sold me. <laughs> 
I thought as well that just having had a spin through your Insta and obviously knowing nothing about anything, but you can tell that, like, I felt there was quite a South American influence mm-hmm. of some of your designs, you know, like the kind of folks. I went to Guatemala on holiday and it was like, as you said earlier, it was really great to see like the woven textiles and in a way to appreciate the part that you have in connection with those things because you realise that probably more so than in our kind of cultures, but those are an inherent part of their cultural yeah. identity, aren't they? Yes. The sort of woven textiles and stuff. And I could see, you know, in some of the way the approaches you've made, there's a similar nod mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that direction. Yeah, I like to take little design aspects of things and and make them into, you know, my own version of what that would be or a little bit of a modern nod to things. Um, I just pull inspiration kind of from everywhere. But even I think the photography too is important to me to to look a certain way because I really do want it to feel like this fashion like you're making your own clothing you can be super proud of it's not just a craft like you're it's slow fashion you know you're making something that will suit the rest of your wardrobe and I want it to be portrayed that way in photography and I want the things that I'm designing to be relevant in today's fashion world so it does go with the rest of your closet and everything too so yeah and I mean a fashionista would be very happy to wear all of these things um, I would you would but look, look at, at you you're a fashionista Jamie um, yeah, totally no, <laughs> everything's unisex for the most part I mean you know so if we sort of talk about the wintery sort of the heavier weight things mm-hmm. you've got a lot of like really nice sort of textural super chunky chunky bulky oh, yes. knits so you, I mean those yarns are just divine to work with aren't they Oh, yes. Lion Brand Woolies Thick and Quick was for sure oh. one of the first yarns that I ever really worked with. And that's what I made the armor scarf in. So my whole, I mean, I, I that's like the, the biggest workhorse yarn in my stash, I would say. I just have shelves and shelves of it because you just can't go wrong. It when As soon as fall hits, all you want to do is bundle up in something cozy and chunky, you know. But I have, I will say... In the last couple of years, I have gotten much more into worsted weight, too, yeah. because you can make sweaters and stuff that are a little bit more forgiving or less um, less intense. <laughs> it was so interesting, actually, because Tony Lipsy said to us, you know, that designing for bulky, chunky, heavier weight yarns, you know, brings complications and challenges Absolutely. that are co- totally different from sort of working with lighter yarns because you've got to be so clever with shaping and yeah you know. and also because the stitches are so big if you have a textural repeat or a color repeat it's going to be a big area and so then when it comes to grading something into multiple sizes you have to take that into consideration the bigger the stitches the more difficult it is to sort of fit everything in i'm very excited because i'm going to do your magic hour sweater oh yes that's, that's one of my new favorites oh it's just beautiful <laughs> jamie you'd really Thank like you. this sweater um <laughs> <laughs> we're always talking about we want we want to make jamie a poncho i say this every episode because we think he's yeah. a bit of a poncho i feel like guy. if we do ever make me a poncho then the podcast finishes you look like a poncho guy he does i, I definitely think a poncho is in your future yeah, you, yeah you look, I do. I, i'm quite i quite like the idea of your armor scarf like that yeah. sounds quite good because i i often go out with a hoodie on mm-hmm. but then i look very suspicious <laughs> i feel <laughs> it's just the face i've got i think some people are like why is that man but you know, you, when you do, when you've got no hair as well, so you want to stop hailstones. Oh, I tell you, man, it felt like your armor scarf could sort me right out. There. I think that's a, I think that would be a great accessory for you. I'd give that a try, and it's pretty beginner friendly too. So, Jamie, pick up I those like needles. The, the more we talk about these things, the more I feel like it's bound to happen. At <laughs> it's going to happen. You can't fight it. You can't fight the crochet hooks and the knitting needles, Jamie. <laughs> it's coming for you. You cannot. <laughs> If you like Lovecrafts, you're going to love our show. So just subscribe now. Get over and done with. (laughs) It's the Lovecraft Show. It's the Lovecraft Show. Oh my God, we love to craft. It's the Lovecraft Show. There you go. There it is. Yeah. There it is. We haven't even started on the proper singing yet, have we? Now, I've got to just talk to you about this, the latest Lion Brand collection, because I just couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. It was stunning. Thank you. So it's the Safari collection. Yes. Tell us about that. Where I mean, oh, it's just silly. Where's the inspiration come for that? Oh, Safari. But, you know, <laughs> obviously you've got that fantastic tiger on your top there. It's kind of, you know, and it is, I, I always make sure to check in with the trends of the season and whatnot before I design something because I want it to feel like I see something in a store that I really love, but here's a 
knitting or crochet pattern version of that that I can make for myself. So I want them to be relevant. And right now in fashion, this sort of like 70s safari vibe is really popular. It's this really kind of classic old school Ralph Lauren kind of feeling. And um, that's what I was really trying to recreate. And also the mood of the photos is very warm. I, I tend to lean a little bit like cool tones typically, but I wanted this to feel very sunny and and warm and kind of glowy. So that was the aesthetic we were looking for. And I chose lots of olive army greens and neutrals. Um, yeah. Yes. And the, the tiger ringer tee is, is kind of the showpiece of the collection. That is all done. All that color work is done with duplicate stitch, which is very similar to cross stitch. So yes, actually, Jamie, Duplicate stitch, really vote <laughs> yes. would be yeah. great for you. I guess this would be my thing. I learn every episode. There's a thing I learn yes. where I go right now. I can talk about duplicate. You can take an existing sweater and and create a little chart for a design and just duplicate stitch over it. And basically, what you're doing monogram. is you're mm-hmm. over you're over stitching the shape of the stitch, which is like a little V. Mm-hmm. So rather than knitting a picture into something you you so rather than in tarsiering it yeah. right oh right, my exactly. goodness hey. Jamie. Hey. Come on. you get Come on. you get points <laughs> the other thing like when i noticed the one that caught my eye was your sunset ringer tee yes. so is that the same principle it as is well? the same principle yes that was the first one i did also that collection was a bit 70s i mean that was very 70s but that was a little bit more like bohemian kind of free spirit vibes and this is a little bit more sleek mm-hmm. and kind of Sophisticated I can see Heim wearing those clothes. Have oh, you just oh. sent them to them? Totally yes, please. Yeah, right. That's the dream. They are rad. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you know what I love as well is on the um, the ringety, the succulent, the colour behind. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talked to Shira from Lion Brand and we talked about succulent, it was so interesting because she said, to, so they consider that to be a neutral. Because obviously you like your neutrals. Um, I do. And so that's an interesting neutral to have, isn't it? Because you can make that succulent for those people listening who can't see it. It's one of the lion bridge. It's, it's the lion brand shade of the year. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like a grey, French grey, French grey, blue, teal. But it's, it is actually neutral, isn't it? So you could, yes. you could warm it up or, or cool it down and put anything with it. Yeah, those are my favorite kinds of colors. And I think all colors, to some degree, can be a neutral. If they're a little bit toned down and a little bit more like a natural dye, something you would find in nature. And what I love about I took a natural dye class years ago. And one of the things the teachers mentioned, which really stuck with me, is that when you're doing dyeing with natural ingredients all of the colors go together because they're all meant to go together because they're all from nature. And so mm. that's kind of, I love that concept. And that's why I think with succulent, it goes with so many other things because it really is that kind of beautiful, neutrally kind of greenish gray that that matches so many other things. Do you know, the other thing I love about your designs and your patterns are that you use yarn that's accessible for people to buy. Yes, that's important to me. There are so many incredible knitwear designers that use hand dyed sort of niche dyeing from artisan dyers and those things and they're beautiful Mm -hmm. but for a lot of people that's just not accessible it's too expensive or it's your people can't get it or yeah but this is what I love about your stuff Thank you so much. Um, The beautiful thing about making your own clothes is you can choose the materials that you want to use. And so you could take any of my patterns and use a beautiful hand-dyed yarn if that's accessible to you. Or you could take a pattern written by someone who used a beautiful hand-dyed yarn and replace that with something, say, from Lion Brand or from Debbie Bliss. It's very customizable as long as you meet the gauge. And sometimes you have to pay a little bit of attention to what the original fiber was for drag and things like that. But um, I think it's very important to me to make my patterns accessible. Um, while I love all those beautiful hand-dyed yarns, I have actually several friends who are do make their own hand-dyed yarn and their companies, they just do absolutely beautiful work. And to be honest, I wish I could use more of their things. I just don't have time. <laughs> I also am passionate about natural fibers and you know the sort of um, environmental impact of that and everything. But when it comes down to it, if you're making your own clothes, you're already... You're already 
doing a wonderful job of not contributing to fast fashion and so if you're going to put some acrylic in your in your <laughs> yarn that's fine with me too. Yeah. The other thing about these really accessible yarns is that they tend to be very durable. So you can throw them in the washer and the dryer and sometimes that even makes them look better to be honest. I love washing like woolies thick and quick. It makes it so soft and even drapier. Yeah, so the the kind of ease of care is a great it's too. a big thing isn't it and actually mm-hmm. I remember talking to Emma Leith who is a crochet designer here in the UK and she creates a lot of blankets and she uses sort of acrylic wool blends and I asked her I sort of said you know how do you feel about acrylics in terms of um, sustainability and things like that and she said well mm-hmm. I'm not wasting anything I'm using it over and over exactly. and over again and she might and it might last me 20 years if I make a big blanket mm-hmm. so that everything it's all sort of you know checks and balances isn't it you've got to sort of think well I'm a great fan of natural fibres, but it's good to open it up and have a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. And just, you know, if you're creating fashion forward things using really affordable materials too, it just opens up. It shows someone that you don't have to have a lot of money to create something beautiful. And I try, as I said, you know, to do things that are trendy, but also not too out there because I want them to be have a heritage to them and and to be able to be passed down and and worn for many generations. So I don't go too crazy with things being too trendy because often trends fade away. They may not come back for a while. So you may want to get rid of something, but I really want everything that I design to be something that you cherish and you wear over and over again for years. And there's a great sense. It's so thrilling to wear something that you've made. Oh, it's the best feeling. It really is. The whole process, what I love so much about yarn crafts is whether you're designing it yourself or not, it's still this really beautiful creative process. And to the the meditative aspect of stitching, I don't have to, I don't get too much of that because I'm always doing math while I'm <laughs> crocheting. But that beautiful meditation that you get when you're following someone else's pattern, it's like building all these cognitive pathways and everything. It's so good for your mental health. I even find that switching from knitting to crochet and using a, a variety of different size hooks and needles and yarn weights. I know some people talk about pain in their hands from re- repetitive stitching. I never really experience any of that. And I think it's because I just switch from one thing to the to the next so frequently. But I think it, it just has so many health benefits to begin with. And then the end result, having this thing that you've made yourself, there's no better feeling than that accomplishment, being able to wear it out into the world. It's, it's from start to finish, even choosing the yarn that you're going to use. Every every part of the whole process is just so wonderful. It's, it's a, a hugely satisfying journey isn't it? Just yeah. from start to finish. So I've got two things to ask you, actually. Firstly, yes, I was just going to interject and ask Jamie. So Jamie, I want to ask, you know, we're talking about the great sort of satisfaction you get from making a garment and wearing it. Mm. But say somebody's done a bit of cross stitch and then hang it on the wall. I would just be walking past it. Every time I walk past it, I would get a shot of, oh, I did that. Do people get the same sense of satisfaction? I think they must do. I think there's a propensity with cross stitches, maybe with all of us, to go, oh, there's that bit I did wrong that leaps out at me <laughs> like a tiger. <laughs> you know, the one stitch that's back to front or something or other. Yeah. But I think so. And it's always interesting, the contrast. You know, cross stitch is quite an aesthetic thing in as much as it's not a very practical thing. You can't really make clothes out of cross stitch. But then I'm just now pondering how much kind of wall art you can make from wool and crochet. I mean, you can really head in a macrame direction and stuff like that, yeah. don't you? But I have a crochet wall hanging, actually, that I did earlier this year. You can translate it into that. But also, yeah. Tony uses cross-stitch on her Tunisian crochet. Yes. She totally she, does. Yes. I've, she and I she and I have done a little dance in that kind of direction. <laughs> have you? Have you actually? Too much. Yeah. Well, that's the wrong way of putting it. We... <laughs> But we've collaborated on something in that arena since nice. we spoke to it. Oh, so. I'm very excited yeah. about that, Jamie. Woo-hoo! One thing I wanted to mention with the whole meditative thing, and I often cite this to people who are busy, I know that you're a fan of lists. And I was going to ask you if you've got any like list making preferences, whether you use a notebook or any kind oh. of tool, you use a notebook or any tools or anything. Listen, I am a Sagittarius and that means that I just have, I'm interested in everything. I'm insatiable. I'm an extremist in everything. I just want it all. I I have, I can't even tell you how many, if you could see what's below this, little pieces of paper, (laughs) notebooks. I have several lists in my phone. I write email drafts. I've got, I mean, I'd make a lot of lists, but they're everywhere and it's not organized. 
Do you have a list all. of your list, or is that a step too far? I also have a whiteboard to my right here that <laughs> is just the emergency things that need to get done. But I never, I'm, I'm horrible at thinking that I have so much more time than I do or, or anticipating that I can finish a certain amount of things in, in any given period of time, even if I pad it excessively. I never meet my own goals. So that's, that's my biggest weakness, I think. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big list maker and they're, and they're everywhere. Mm. Because also living in, in New York City, I mean, I've actually been upstate New York since March when quarantine began. But in the city, you're on the go all the time. I, I rarely would work from home. I would go to cafes and stuff. So I'm like toting. I would always, you know, you forget one thing or I would leave something upstate when I come to the city. So there's just little bits of paper everywhere. So many post-it notes. Because one of the, the kind of productivity tools I always used to mention is doing cross-stitch and that meditative thing about if you sit down and you have a session and you say, right, I want these ideas to get out of my head. You can occupy part of your brain through the process of stitching, hopefully not doing the maths at the same time, and just let the ideas bubble to the surface, write them down. And actually, mm -hmm. it's a really useful tool for gathering those thoughts so that, you know, when the time comes in, you can address what needs to be done. Absolutely. The, you know, you always think you hear about people having these epiphanies in the shower or when they're doing something where they're not having to think too hard, but you're still doing an activity. Mm. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense to me. You can use it as like a to work something out in your head as you're kind of putting these stitches down. Yeah, I'd say I recommend it all the time. We could go into a side stream about productivity tools and techniques, <laughs> but I feel like that needs to be a completely different show. I, I have almost... them all. I just don't use them. Yeah. No, even me, I'm just like, I've got a yellow notebook and a pencil, yes. and that seems to be the thing that I'm, defines all I'm of them. I'm like you. I'm like little pieces of paper everywhere. Alexia, yeah. I'm the same. I could just always have bits of paper everywhere. I'm, honestly, I'm yeah. horribly disorganized, much less. I mean, you're not horribly disorganized, but I am. Yeah, I'm not disorganized. I know where it all is, but like <laughs> it, at any given time, I'll have like 50 different tabs on my computer open. I think what happens is I'm so afraid of forgetting something mm. that if I have an idea, I have to write it wherever I am, whether it's a note in my phone or I do a little like doodle on my phone of like something I see. I'm like, oh, I love that shape. I have to add it to something because I've got so many other things going on competing for space in my head that if I don't get it out it may disappear. And I'm afraid of closing any of these tabs because they all have ideas in them. <laughs> yes, I'm like so. that. But the mistake we make sometimes is thinking that there might be this one system that works for everybody. Whereas actually, if that works for you and you're not losing anything as a consequence, then you just, as haphazard as it might seem to somebody else, it's like... There's a lot of mental work. gymnastics that go on. I could definitely be a little bit more peaceful about it and a little bit more curated. I have a friend, Teresa, from Debrose Knitwear. She mm -hmm. is like the most organized person I know, and she's such a minimalist, and everything she does is so spectacular, and she tests everything a million times to get it absolutely perfect. Meanwhile, I'm just like whipping stuff out like crazy because <laughs> um, I just can't get all the ideas out but she and I are, are very opposite in that way and I think if she had to use my computer for even five minutes it would just destroy her <laughs> it's when you learn you can have more than one desktop on your computer that's a bad oh, idea as well because uh, then you're like oh I don't even know I, to I keep it to I one because just... if I yeah it would get a, it would get out of control yeah, I can't do that because I I'm the same I have a million tabs and I've sort of learned to sort of bookmark things but I always do that I find something and I think I can't lose that I can't lose that that sort of image or yeah. the pattern or something or a color yes so I just bookmark exactly. bookmark bookmark and then I go back and I think, why did I even like that? <laughs> Same. So oh my gosh. I have <laughs> no so context. many screenshots on my phone too. Uh, that, and then I never, of course, never look back through it, you know? <laughs> no, we, do, we don't, do we? I think we should, uh, we should put it out to our listeners if they've got any productivity, either just things that they want to like confess or any tips and hints that they've got and stuff like that. And what they can do is they can leave us a speak pipe. If they go to speakpipe.com forward slash the Lovecrafts show, they can leave us like an actual voice yes. as well. So we can use our actual voices on here. Mm -hmm. So I'd slide that in because we always forget to speak pipe. Speak pipe. Definitely. Speak I, pipe. I think I, I think I may have a little bit of PTSD from being a personal assistant for a model for nine years too. Oh, wow. And just all the little things that went into that. She was a very public figure at the time. And it was just, you know, there, there was a lot of multitasking and problem solving. And so I still have that kind of buzzing radiation around me where <laughs> I can't I feel like I'm I'm attracting too many things at once um but I think block time is something that I don't practice but I think about mm. doing a lot which is really good because then you're completely dedicating yourself to one thing at a time I find myself 
knitting with my computer open and an email comes in. I have to put yeah. the knitting down. I have to answer the email. You yeah. know, it's like this dance back and forth of so many different tasks all at once, which... It's a tough... Like having the discipline to do like batching, having the discipline to sit down and go, right, today is the day yeah. I'm going to write introductions to patterns yes. or whatever it is. Oh, exactly. You know, you know, that's the other thing about being an independent knitwear designer or anything. If you're an entrepreneur in any way on your own, you're wearing so many hats and there's just so many different aspects of your business that are vying for your attention. And actually, I would say maybe 5% of what I do is working with yarn. The rest of it is customer service, emails, so much copying and pasting (laughs) into lots of different platforms and, and formatting and all sorts of stuff, photography, editing photos, writing, blog writing. I mean, there's social media. There's so much that goes into it. And this is why I think, when you're an independent knitwear designer or crochet designer, there is so much full-time work that goes into that job that you have to charge oh, yes. the right amount for a pattern because it's a charge for, oh, for your sure. time and your creative design and everything else you've got to do. You know, so, yeah. I mean, it's okay to have a couple of free patterns, but actually you've really got to charge what you're worth and have the time yes. that you're spending. Absolutely. And and like I said, you know, there's there's different ways. Uh, some people are strictly bloggers and they're making money from the traffic, the ad traffic um, to their site and maybe through affiliate marketing and stuff like that. And some people don't have a blog and they're strictly just knitwear designers selling their patterns for five to ten dollars. And you I kind of do both. I straddle both worlds, which can be dysfunctional a little bit, too, because people sometimes don't understand why some of my patterns are free and some aren't. They don't really understand that I'm getting paid to write the free ones, so they're not technically free. Yeah. I'm still making some money off of them because to yeah, to just give everything away, or even if you're selling finished pieces, you know, you have to be so mindful of how much you're paying yourself. I have people reach out to me all the time saying, Can I sell finished pieces from the patterns that I've purchased from you? And I, you know, I used to have a policy where I had a list of every pattern that I had designed and kind of the recommended retail price. Actually, it was the required retail price at the time. I asked people to follow because I was just basing that on say if you paid yourself ten dollars an hour plus the cost of the materials that I used in the pattern, which is the bare minimum, in my opinion, because that's not taking Mm -hmm. into consideration any other overhead, your internet expenses, the computer that you're writing the patterns on, all the things that go into running a business. But I've had so many people say, oh, I was just going to charge for like a sweater, like $5 plus the materials. Like that took you 40 hours. Would any (laughs) other job pay you $5 for 40 hours of work? Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, so... And I I totally understand also that many people are not business minded in that way, but I think that's a real, we have to value our work. Um, We're creating these beautiful things. It's a step you have to take to become quite mercenary, because if you don't become a bit mercenary, then you will lose out, isn't it? It's all right if you're bootstrapping your business because you've got another job or circumstances Mm -hmm. mean you don't have to cover the overheads. But the minute you've got to be like, and I had that, I've had that like, Several times where you're just like, ah, mortgage. Yeah, and so suddenly you have to like it's, blind it's panic. Tough. It is. I always give this example for people selling finished pieces that if you are selling a beanie that takes you one hour to make, you can either charge $10 for that beanie and sell 10 of them and make $100, or you can sell that beanie for $100. You might sell a lot less. You only might only sell one, but you're still making $100 and it only took you one hour, not 10 hours. You mm. know, So you kind of have to understand that you're going to have less sales if you charge more for your stuff, but it's going to relieve the time from you that you can apply to something else. Now with patterns, that's different because it's sort of passive income as you're selling it, but um, it's still important to to charge an adequate amount. There's been some really amazing blog posts written. Wooly Wormhead, I think, had one out that was the true value of a pattern. It goes into all the expenses with photography and and testing and getting it tech edited and all this stuff and like how much you would really need to sell it for. <laughs> it's like two hundred and fifty dollars yeah. if you really put all those expenses into one. But of course, you can sell multiple patterns. You never also know if something is going to be a, a big success or not. I've had plenty of patterns where I only sell you know three since it's been released years ago. And then I have others that I have no idea are going to be successful and end up becoming, you know, almost viral. So it just, you can predict some things, but in other ways, you never know who's going to post about it or who's going to make it, tell their friend. And yeah. When you start out as a knitwear designer, do you, you know, learning the process of designing knitwear, Mm -hmm. do you just do that yourself for a while? This did you, not do you hypothetically, (laughs) did you just to kind of do it? for yourself for a while to get your head around what it was to write a pattern 
Yeah, to some degree. I think that I have been knitting for a long time. Crochet is something that I taught my, my, my mom and my grandmother taught me knitting when I was a kid. And of course, I would always want to like make gifts out of it. And every year around the holidays, I would either forget how to cast on or how to bind off. So they'd have to remind me. But it was something that once you kind of you, you do get the muscle memory for it back. Right out of college is when I really started knitting a bunch. I think I had seen something like an anthropology that I thought was really cool. And I wanted to make something similar. And I kind of figured out how to do it. I made one sweater from a pattern. That was the only sweater pattern I've ever followed. And it was like a bottom up raglan, I think from Rowan cotton, some summer catalog. It was a little t-shirt. So I largely have kind of done it on the fly. And I think that because I have the background in pattern drafting and fashion Mm. design, understanding the shapes and stuff and understanding as soon as you know how to increase and decrease in knitting, you can kind of figure out how to create different shapes. And so there's, there's really there's positives, pros and cons to that. Um, pros being that I was kind of left to my own devices to be more creative in some ways, but cons are there's plenty of techniques that because I don't have time to follow anyone else's patterns right now, I, I won't use. And maybe I could be expanding my own skill set and utilizing those techniques in my own work. I would say one out of every three to five patterns I design has a technique that I've never done before. And so I will design something using that technique just so I can right. learn it. That's quite a smart way to keep evolving, I guess, because then that would then influence the direction you take following on from there. And I've been doing this for almost seven years now. So, you know, that my original patterns were definitely not written very well. (laughs) We've made some progress, but you get feedback from people saying, you know, you didn't include a gauge with this or you didn't say turn at the end of the row or I have no idea what you mean by this. And so, you know, you, you get better and better at writing patterns as you go along. And there's still improvements I'm sure that I could make. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's like because you cross stitch designs quite visual you know and you've only got the one stitch so you feel like it's not too difficult to make the leap you know you can sketch it out on some graph paper but the kind of crazy alchemy lingo that you guys have to use (laughs) and stuff I feel like it must take a while you know I and that's what's even worse is you say oh I only ever use one pattern it's like what are you sort of polyglot then in that case I use other patterns just not sweater patterns I don't know why I was intimidating or something but and of course, I've seen so many patterns since then. And everyone also, there's so many different styles of pattern writing. You know, I have friends who write them completely differently than I do. So as a maker, yeah, you can speak a lot of languages as a maker when you start to read different oh. people's patterns because they're all so translate so Very differently. Much so. so the million dollar question that these yes. listeners would be love to know, which do you prefer, knitting or crochet? <gasps> it's a tricky I don't- one. I know. So cross stitch, just dodge. <laughs> but the they're bullet. just different. That's like saying, that's like you know, you kittens can't or puppies. That. Here's the thing: knitting and crochet are very different in some ways, and similar in some ways. And I find that they have different applications, so you can't really compare them too much. Of course, you can have some garments or accessories where you can do a knit and a crochet version, and they're very similar depending on the fiber, the size of the hooker, the needle, the shape of the garment, and so forth. You can also have things that literally cannot be done in the other craft. And so I predominantly do all of my bags in crochet. It's denser, it's less stretchy, it's going to keep its shape better. So if you're making like the circle bag or something like that, you want it to, to have a certain integrity to it that knitting doesn't often lend itself to. And sometimes you need something that's really drapey and lightweight and thin and knitting is obviously the best for that and I try to do many of my patterns in kind of both I have like what I call sister patterns so I'll do a knit version and a crochet version and inevitably anytime I release something I half of the comments are like but I'm only a crocheter are you gonna make this in crochet it's like yes if I could I would if a if I had time I would be if it translated, then I'll give it a try. But sometimes it just doesn't, you know. And so, yeah, you know, the stitches. I want knit sweaters and I want crochet bags, so I can't really compare. Them. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? Like crochet, you know, especially in the heavier yarns, the stitches are bulky, and you can't mm-hmm. make them drape in the same way that knitting would drape in a certain yeah. size gauge. But you, you it's know, just yeah. But you could do it if it was very fine. But I think it is. They exactly. are. They are different, but the same. But you've avoided mm-hmm. the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you knitting. Listen, I, I think I'm more. Prof- okay, I'm going to choose knitting. I'm more proficient in knitting. I started it earlier in my life, and I know how to do more things in it. But then you can do these really gorgeous kind of like yarn bomb things and crochet and all of these really 
I don't know. It's, it is really hard. I don't want to say shapeless, but there's not like it's what do you what do you call that when you're just kind of crocheting? Oh, it's a plan. I mean, oh, what is it called? It's like sort of freestyle when people yeah just just freestyle yeah crochet. Is that the I word? Know, it's something something like, like that. that. But yes, like free, let's go yeah, with free form. But it's something like that, isn't it? It's sort of like free mm-hmm. motion something. Free form. Free form. It's free form. Is that yeah. what it is? Yes. It is. With knitting, that's more difficult because you've just got kind of this rigidness with the number of stitches you have. You can't just go off on a tangent. The this is what I was just blown away with, with Tunisian knitting when we talked to Tony Lipsy. I was just like, oh, crikey. Because you've got stitches, you've got more than one stitch, and yet there is that sort of feel of crochet about it and it produces this yeah. incredible fabric. I was just, well. She is such a master too. I, she's taken that craft and also crochet and made it look so much like knitting with all of her really delicate shawls and everything. I mean, you know, so she's made crochet so much more, I don't know, fashionable and, and make it look more delicate than I would say. I mean, obviously you have like filet crochet and really lacy crochet and stuff, but for like modern application in, in garments and accessories, she said she does such a good job of that. She really does. Um, so I was looking at the huntress, your huntress. Yes. Um, I yes. made for my daughter when she <laughs> was going through her Hunger Games phase. Amazing. <laughs> because there is this thing, you've got to see it, Jamie, because eventually you'll be making these for your girls. Jamie has okay. two, two little girls um, because they'll all want to be in the Hunger Games eventually. And um, you have to have that sort of one-armed thing. I mean, that's a fantastic yes. garment. Well, that actually was early on. Um I've still never seen the movie, to be honest with you. Um, I had, of course, told you my armor scarf is quite similar to that in a way. And so when I started, I forget what I was even looking for. I think I was looking for some stitch, a herringbone stitch. And that movie had just come out and there was a knitwear blog that I had stumbled upon and someone had written about that design. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. I want to do something similar. So it's a little bit different than the original, obviously, but and a little bit more wearable, maybe. Yeah, it, it reminded me of that shape. And so I thought it would fit with my aesthetic very well. And that's been a very successful pattern since since the beginning, yeah, too. And it's, and it's just, we need more viral knitwear, preteen oh, yeah. things Absolutely. going on. So I can, Do you know what? And I love, I love that herringbone stitch. It's gorgeous, isn't it's it? It's so beautiful, it really isn't it? Is. Sometimes you just stumble yes. across these crochet stitches mm-hmm. and you can't believe the crochet stitches. You're like, ooh, you know, just that they look so incredible in a heavier yarn, don't they? I just, mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, you must be like me. I never get bored. Anything round oh, the no. corner, there's always something new. There's not enough time in the day for me to do everything. Bored <laughs> is the opposite of what I often am. <laughs> no, I'm at a strange moment because I'm in between projects. That's why I'm going to do your magic hour sweater. Okay, good. That's a good one. I've got some yarn that I think would work. Perfect. You can tell she's got this like nervous energy, like she's free falling for a second, like <laughs> or something. You know, she's like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Now. Well, I just <laughs> the thing tell. is, I was in that thing where I made two tops for two friends of mine, and then suddenly I'd done them both, and I was like, oh, I've got so many things unfinished. So I've been finishing a couple of things, but that's not very yeah. satisfying. I now need it's not. a new thing. I always have, there's this pattern of mine called the Mariner's Cap, which is just a little ribbed toque. I always have one of those on my needles because I also find that I am restless. I can't go anywhere if I'm not doing three things at the same time. Can't watch TV without knitting. Can't be in the car as long as I'm not driving without knitting. Um, so I just always have one of those kind of on my needles so I can take it to go. So at least I feel like I'm making progress. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand that. I, it's a real multitasking thing, isn't it? I can't do yeah. anything. I can't do one thing. I have nope. to do several things at the same time. Are you like that, Jamie? Or are you, are you sort of focus on a task? I think I've learned that multitasking, generally speaking, is inefficient. I'm not saying, you know, I'll always be like working and listening to something or something. So I'm never 100 percent. But I'm like trying to train myself because my time is so short because I spend two and a half days a week doing daddy daycare. So I don't get as much time to do the things that I want. So I'm like, no, I have to know what needs to be done and I have to knuckle down and do it. Sometimes I'm even like trying the old Pomodoro to go, look, just for 20 minutes, just do one thing for 20 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. in the hope that I can get through it but I suffer probably more than you do like I was talking to Mary my wife about this a while ago about the fact that I'm not sure I've done any cross stitch in the past 12 months since my second daughter was born oh no because I spend all my time like serving the world of cross stitch and like you say doing these million and one jobs that you have to do or something so totally I I know how that is and also when you have small children whatever you do when you have small children things stop 
yeah. because you just can't you don't have that space and time and so you have to wait until they're a bit bigger and i feel like it's not the best to leave like, needles, yeah. needles <laughs> lying around either if I'm honest. probably not <laughs> didn't no. mind when we had cats and that was it but now it's yes a mind you well we've got a rabbit elton and um he oh. likes, he always attacks a ball of yarn. If it's on the floor, he's like, ooh. Oh my gosh. New toy. I have a dog, but he luckily does not get into my yarn. I think he, he ate a blanket that I made <laughs> very early on for my boyfriend, like right after I gave it to him. But other than that, he's been pretty good. I think he just he was trying to protect his territory. I wanted to um, divert the conversation, as is my won't. Mm-hmm. Because I read your... Um, intro story and there's a whole two of one thing it got mm-hmm. me thinking about tarot because it was quite interesting like my mum used to be really into that sort of stuff and two of ones and I looked up the meaning of the tarot and then I thought it'd be fun to do like one of those random tarot card picking things you know so I did a bit <laughs> of that and I just I share with you what happens it's good all right so so apparently two of wands the key that you get this thing where it's like if the card's one way it means one thing and if it's reversed uh-huh. it means the other thing okay right? yes so, Apparently, two of ones, according to the website I looked at, can't remember the link, might be in the show notes. Uh, two of ones, future planning and progress is what it means when it's the right way up. And then if it's reversed, it can be to do with the fear of the unknown and those sorts of things. So mm-hmm, quite mm-hmm. prophetic anyway. When I thought about Merian and I hit Uh-oh. that random F5 button on the website, okay. the Empress <laughs> oh, came up. Oh, did it? I think that I was part of my deck too oh, when wow. I when I got that two of ones card fold. Oh, Jamie! It's all about femininity and nurturing and stuff oh. like that. I was like, that sounds about Jamie, right. Jamie, really. you're amazing. Um, That's fab. When I what you say? When I thought about myself and hit the button, the fool came up. I was like, this bloody <laughs> website's too good. But what? But so surely I, that doesn't mean that. What does it actually mean, the fool? No, no, I don't. The thing was, is I, I was like, that's too, that's ridiculous. But I, so I did it. I did it three more times, right? So first time I got the Ace of Pentacles, mm-hmm. which is about manifestation and abundance. And if it's reversed, it's to do with lack of planning, which I still feel is probably true. I... I use a thing called Notion now. It's really good as a way of trying to get everything together. And I have so many streams. I'm slowly through desperation trying to put it all together. So then I had the Wheel of Fortune, which is all to do with good good luck and karma. And the inverse of that is resistance to change. But I feel like I'm old enough to know not to resist change. And then my third choice was the Knight of Cups. You see, that's got to be good. You are a knight, Sir Jamie. On the right, on the on the right way up, it stands for like creativity and charm. Bingo! So that quite yeah. reasonable. Yeah. If it's reversed, believe it or not, it means subscribe to the Lovecraft Show on Apple oh. Podcasts and Spotify. <laughs> Superb! What are the chances of that? What are the chances of that? <laughs> These tarot's man, Jamie, there's something in there. That's your best yet. God. That's a one. Really can predict the future. I've got some other questions. If that's all right, just randomly. absolutely. Um, first of all, is it true? This is a simple yes, no answer. Is it true that there is a duplicate stitch tutorial available on your YouTube channel? There sure is. It's about 45 minutes long. It's my most in-depth video on YouTube, actually, and it showcases a few different versions of uh, color work and knitting. And then it explains how duplicate stitch is different and applications, whether or not you should block before or after you do your duplicate stitch, whether you should tie off your ends or weave them in and so forth. So check that out oh i'm gonna watch that one i know that tying versus weaving is a controversial one isn't it sure is you can't i'm a tire i'm a not tire are you Mm. yeah yeah is your youtube channel good i forget i'm gonna go and subscribe to you in a minute because i literally spend all day watching youtubes thank you i you know i wish i was as prolific as tony on youtube but unfortunately video editing is not my forte um but my youtube channel is youtube.com backslash two of wands knits and i have several beginner knitting and crochet tutorials and then a few technique specific things like how to tie rope fringe and how to turn knitting or crochet into plaid and i think we should start to com- compile like a super youtube playlist of all our pieces oh, yeah. because there's plenty on there yeah i tell you, i love the whole, i love the way you turn things into plaid this is like i just think it's the most amazing transformation when you stitch a line of a different color through something else it's just amazing but those are my favorite as i was saying like kind of interpreting knitwear in in other materials and kind of bringing weaving in or you know bringing the cross stitch with a duplicate stitch it all is kind of like using these techniques from other from other crafts that i really enjoy do you have quite a young demographic for your customers I mean, I, it definitely spans, but I think my strongest demographic is about 25 to 40, according to my Google analytics. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> but 
but it there's younger and there's definitely plenty of older as well um i try mm. to make things like i said they're a little bit timeless and so they might be fashion forward for someone a little bit older but why can't why can't you be fashionable when you're older you know that doesn't make sense of course you can i was just reflecting back on what you said about you know using yarns that are quite easy to access and those sorts mm-hmm. of things because it, i guess if you've got people who are new to it you need to remove the barriers to entry right absolutely absolutely yes uh, on your instagram you've got a lot of instagram stories about cooking a I lot. love cooking. Oh. A lot. Yes, I do. I stopped at the Dr. Pepper Paul pork recipe. Oh, I was like, hot diggity. You got to try that one. Hot diggity. She's like, you get that all these things. One. Seven hours later. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> it was seven Mary hours later. Wow, you did some serious investigative uh, oh, work there. You know what? He's great. He's great on research. <laughs> so tell us about your cooking. What do you love? Well, my mother is just the most incredible cook. So many of my friends follow her on Instagram too, at Tamara Tavel. Um, she's she's an <laughs> incredible cook. And I, you know, growing up, we had a, a very large garden. She, all of the herbs and the vegetables and the fruits uh, came from the garden. She makes her own cheese. She makes her own bread. So, you know, she's, she's wonderful. And I never had the same thing twice. If she made something twice, it tasted different because she was experimenting and adding all these things. And being an artist, I think she really enjoys cooking because it's a form of art. And even the way she plates everything, it's just so beautiful. So I have always just enjoyed good food and cooking because of her. And I think being a creative person, maybe not all creative people enjoy cooking, but I sure do. It, it, It also feels really nice, especially during quarantine. I mean, in my career, I work from home or work alone, if not from home in a cafe by myself all the time. And so like being able to go out and be with other people was kind of how I spent most evenings because I was alone so often. So now not having that escape, being able to cook, and it's kind of like a meditative thing in itself too. So like having that, knowing that I can put the yarn down and like concentrate on cooking every evening is a nice little relief and break, I would say. Mm. I also thought it was quite interesting because the way, you know, as a brand, you present yourself in Instagram, it's interesting then that you have quite deliberately included cooking, almost like mm-hmm. as another slice of you or something. You know, I yeah. I feel like sometimes I don't give myself away at all, particularly because yeah. I'm not very interesting. But so, yeah, <laughs> cool. I'm not someone who really talks to the camera a lot. There's plenty of other people who do what I do who, like, showcase a lot of their life. I really don't do that. But I find that cooking is just like another little window into what I love. I don't have a personal Instagram, so... That's my way of sort of including per- some personal personal touch to it, I would say. Um, there's plenty of other things that I'm interested in also that I would like to share. I know some people are probably like, I follow you for crochet, not for cooking. But you know what? Too bad because this is what I like. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, also, you know, there, there are common likes and dislikes amongst our community, I would say. You know, there's lots of coffee lovers out there. There's lots of wine lovers. There's lots of people who love to cook. There's lots of people who love to read. And yeah. so I think that offering content in those ways is also kind of fun for people because it just introduces them to other stuff. If we had to dig through all your stories to find the best recipe, the one that you think that if we're eating this, it's like we're eating. Actually, I was going to say eating you. That sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point. What's the one yes. recipe? Oh, man. Yeah, your, well, your signature dish. Yeah. Mm. I don't know that I have one. I do love a good bolognese and I do, there's a salmon dish that I make probably once a week, mostly because it's delicious, but it's also very easy. It's from Bon Appetit. It's their seasoned sushi rice and salmon and it's really, really tasty. I would recommend that. Mm. That sounds cool. I made that last night. That's why it's top of mind. I've got one more, one more question. You grew up in Loveland, Ohio, yes, which sounds amazing. Do you still go back there? <laughs> I do. I mean, haven't been recently, but yeah, I usually go back for holidays. So I'm still very good friends with many of my high school friends and my mom still lives there. So I do go back a few times a year. So my internationally, you know, career as a kingpin of contemporary embroidery, the X-plane lands in Loveland, Ohio, and I've got a hankering for a snack. Do Ooh. I choose... Ooh. <laughs> A maple bacon donut from Holtman's, or do I go for Grater's black raspberry choc chip Graters. ice cream? Hands down. Grater's. Oh, but they also stop. ship. I don't know if they ship internationally. I don't think but... they do, do they? <laughs> I think you could get something shipped dry ice overseas. I had a bad five minutes yesterday looking at the Holtzman's website and just being like, look at the donuts. We just don't do donuts like that over here. We don't. No, I've never had Holtzman's donuts. There's a place in New York City called Edwards in Tribeca that I think the guy who owns it must be from Cincinnati. But once a month they have a Cincinnati night and he just brings in like there's like 
Montgomery Inn ribs and La Rosa's pizza and Skyline chili. That is the serious Cincinnati dish. Skyline chili. <laughs> um, and Grater's ice cream. So, yeah, those are those are the signatures. Do you um, go there and then end up sounding a bit more Cincinnati when you come back? I feel like I do pick up accents wherever I go, but uh, I'm sure I have quite a Midwestern accent, don't I? <laughs> We'll say yeah. We don't, <laughs> I don't, know. We, don't, we don't know what a mid is. <laughs> Where I'm from, lovely. there is not too much of, of an accent, I would say. Um, at least maybe it's just because that's where I'm from, and I don't think there is one. But it's not, it's not in the South. It's not really – Chicago has a distinct uh, accent. The New England states do, too. Ohio and Midwest is just a little bit How long even. have you been in New Eurekan now? Like 10 years? Uh, let's see. I moved there in 2005, so – 15, 15 years. years okay yeah so new yorker are you not a native new yorker that's one of my i bought an album recently that had that song on it that's classic you're a native new yorker oh yeah that's a great tune <laughs> that's it a good a song great tune. It is. i think we've had a lovely afternoon chatting it has been good it really it has, has. Been good. it's fantastic to meet you and thank you so much I you just, too well we're just in awe we love your stuff keep making all this beautiful oh, stuff and these so gorgeous kind. designs and uh, wow. If anyone's inspired me to pick up a thing and do a thing, it's that armor scarf, honestly. I'm slowly scrolling my way back to your Insta to go it and find easy it. Easy peasy. You should definitely do that. And I think you'd really enjoy it. Gunmetal grey, the colour of my soul. You know how it goes. <laughs> do you know what, Jamie? I can see a whole episode where we, we teach you how to knit so you can make it. Or crochet. This man will cry on this show. <laughs> you can <laughs> <Right>. do it. <laughs> That's been amazing. Well, in that case, I think we'll bring this excellent episode of the Lovecraft Show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Having you on here, Alexi. Thank you Thank so, you so much, much for joining us. Thank you so us. much, pleasure. Alexi. And uh, in closing, I'd just like to say, my name is Mr. X-Ditch. And I'm Marion. And all I want to say is, you can't eat sleep, you can't eat, there's no doubt, you're in deep, your throat is tight, you can't breathe, another stitch is all you need. Whoa, you like to think that you're immune to the stuff. Oh, yeah. It's closer to the truth to say you can't get enough. You know you're going to have to face it. You're addicted to Lovecraft. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> See you on the next show. Well, That done, was Jamie. fantastic. Fantastic.